The Ice Analytics Podcast is sponsored by MyBookie. As you guys know, there's no other sport like hockey, from the fast tempo to the fights to the highlight reel plays, and there's no better way to make it more exciting than laying some money on it with MyBookie.ag. Nobody gives you more ways to win than they do. They have the best payouts and better odds than any other sports book out there. And I wouldn't be telling you this if they weren't the best. And if you join MyBookie now, they will match your first deposit 50% up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $100, you'll get extra $50 of free money. Just use the promo code THPN to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. Play, you win, you get paid. Just remember to use that promo code THPN. This episode of Ice Analytics, I'm going to be exploring the effect that arena attendance has on team success at home. I'm also going to be joined by Corey and Richie from the Corey and Richie Show to get their perspective on the Arizona Coyotes' attendance woes over the years and ways to improve it. This is Ice Analytics, hosted by the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome to episode three of Ice Analytics. I am your host, Matthew Arp. My boss is down here at the Hockey Podcast Network, haven't pulled the plug on me, and I haven't been hired by an NHL team yet, so you're stuck with me for another week. This week's topic is going to be arena attendance, and on Number Crunch, I'm going to be tackling a question that I feel like nobody really wants to ask because of the controversial nature of it. But what is the relationship between attendance and winning at home? You might be asking yourself, what's controversial about that? Well, you'll find out on Number Crunch. And then I'm going to be following that up on StatChat. And I'm going to be speaking with Corey and Richie from the appropriately named Corey and Richie Show, representing the Arizona Coyotes on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm very interested to get their thoughts because of the attendance woes that the Arizona Coyotes have had over the years. And I would love to get their input as to ways that that can be changed and uh, we can get more get more fans to come out and see the Coyotes. So coming up is Number Crunch. And just a reminder, if you want to see the visualizations that I developed for this segment, you can find them at statsenforcer.com. In order to evaluate the relationship between attendance and team success at home, I'm going to start by just looking at attendance. I'm going to start with an overview of NHL NHL attendance across the league, looking at some of the trends, and then diving into the question at hand. Hockey is growing, albeit very slowly. The total number of NHL attendees eclipsed 22 million people in 2017. Thanks, Vegas. You guys come in the league and setting records already. Average arena attendance across the NHL over the past decade is north of 96%. That means that the average arena is 96% full, which is really good. that, That sounds fantastic when you put it like that. But when you dig down and, and look a little deeper, it's not every team is not has 96% uh, capacity uh, every game. There's really three different types of teams in the NHL when it comes to attendance. Teams with consistently high attendance, teams with a little bit of variation in their attendance below 90%, with an average below 90%. And then there's the Arizona Coyotes. I'm not trying to pick on them, but 
Those are the three categories. And let's start at the top. Most of the league has consistently high attendance, 90% or higher every season going back the past decade. Teams like the original six franchises, which should not be a surprise, but also Buffalo, Calgary, Edmonton, Minnesota, Philly, Pittsburgh, San Jose, Vancouver, Winnipeg, Washington. These teams know how to get people to show up to their games. No matter what what their performance is, people come to watch these teams. Because some of these teams have not been very good over the year. Then we move on to the second category. Teams that have some variation. When I say some variation, I'm talking about 20% variation between their highest and lowest attendance over the past decade. Uh, yearly attendance over the past decade. Some variation, but not in the 90s, not over 100, which I'll get to in a second. There's a few teams, actually six in particular, that fall into this category. Carolina Hurricanes, who peaked in 2012 with 94% attendance. Four years later, they were the lowest in the last decade with 63%. The Colorado Avalanche peaked in 2015 with 97% attendance. Six years earlier in 09-10, they had 77%. Uh, The Dallas Stars peaked also in 2015 with 99% attendance and have honestly been pretty steady since then. But if you go back a few years before, they only had 76% in 2011. Florida is one of the more interesting cases because they peaked in 2012 with 99% attendance, but two years later in 2014, they had 66. The Islanders, and that's a very unique situation because of the arena, peaked in 2014 with almost 95% attendance. Four years previously in 2010, they had 67. And lastly, the Ottawa Senators, who peaked in 2009 with 105% attendance. They've been steadily falling since then with a more significant drop-off since 2015 down to 76% last year, and at this rate will probably set a new record low this year. It's interesting I bring up the 105% because it needs to be noted that you can actually have over 100% attendance because that number only represents the number of seats in the arena versus the number of tickets sold and does not include standing room seats or anything of that nature. Uh, These numbers, by the way, if you're interested, are available on ESPN. If you just Google ESPN NHL attendance, it'll come up. I don't have a link or anything. But uh, yeah, I would definitely look it up if you're curious how your team's been doing over the years. Now, I think the big takeaway from this is that these six teams are a little bit more dependent on a variety of factors. Things like their previous season's win totals or if they're contending or if they're buying at the deadline or selling at the deadline or if they're a rebuilding team or they're marketing or there's a lot of factors that go into why people show up to watch your team play. Now, for the original six franchises and the ones in the first category that I mentioned, it doesn't seem those factors, uh, they seem to be more insulated from. But for these six teams in particular, there's a variety of things going on. I don't know what they are in particular. Uh, I'm not even going to get into it because that's not even the question. But it should be noted. It's not as simple for those franchises. It's more difficult to get people to come to games. This is also not a comprehensive list. There's a lot of teams that fall somewhere in the middle. 
And there's some teams that have broke 90% and then fall into 70% or, you know, 75%. You know, there's some teams that have had 105% and they've had, uh, you know, one year and they've had, you know, 95% the next year. There's variation. There's a lot of different examples. These are just generally broad categories, which brings us to the third and most interesting category the Arizona Coyotes. And as I said earlier, I'm not picking on Arizona because it's low-hanging fruit. I feel like when everyone talks about attendance, it's Arizona, it's uh, Carolina, it's the Islanders. But the Coyotes are fascinating because their average attendance the past decade has been, the average has been a, a 77%. And there's been a range of about 8%. They, in, in 2008, they had 85% attendance. And then the next year, so from 2008 to 2009, they went from 85% to 68%, which is the second largest single season drop in attendance in the last decade. The largest being Florida from the 13 to 14 seasons. Uh, they had a pretty significant drop, and I don't have a good reason for why we've seen such variability with Arizona attendance, especially between 2008 and 2009. It isn't dependent at all on their team's performance over, uh, or even last year's performance. Nobody can claim that Coyotes fans are fair weather or bandwagoners. The year they posted 109 points was the year that they had their lowest attendance, 2009. There's something unique. We're going to explore this relationship. I'm really excited to get Corey and Richie on the show so that I can pick their brain on this one. Now that we got that out of the way, let's actually get into the real main event, the, the real question that we had, which is attendance and winning at home. Well, if you look at the relationship between the number of points that you get at home and attendance, there is absolutely a relationship there. For every 10% increase in attendance, it's equivalent to about two additional points in the standings at home. When accounting for strength of schedule or the strength of the opponent, the effect is slightly reduced, but it's still statistically significant. The difference between missing and making the playoffs, if you have 110% attendance versus 70% attendance, is an eight-point differential at home right there. While eight points is eight points, let's not fool ourselves here. This isn't a lot to work with because we're talking about eight points between most attended team, least attended team, not a huge deal. And we also know from an, an outdated stats by Lopez article that home ice advantage is already a little bit of an overblown effect because there's so much parity in the NHL. It's not terribly surprising that having a packed barn is not going to substantially affect the outcome of uh, more than a couple of games. So additionally, and I think this is really important, is the relationship between attendance and success at home is difficult to ascertain for one very important reason. Do more fans attend the game because the team is doing well? Or does the team do well because more fans attend the game? And there's some very serious difficulties in defining the direction of the relationship precisely, especially when very variation does occur in attendance. It's a very symbiotic relationship. People come because the team's doing well, and the team does well because people come. The question is really causality. Does one actually cause the other? Or is there this relationship that's pulling in, in two different directions at the same time? Well, I wanted to dig a little deeper into this. So what I did was I tested a lagged effect. Essentially, what I did was last year's point totals 
on this year's attendance. So test the idea that people come to the game because the team did well last year. And there is a pretty strong relationship between last year's performance and the attendance the following year across the entire NHL. To put that in perspective, for every additional 10 points your team has in the standings, you're looking at a bump of about 2.5% attendance the following year. Don't let anybody fool you. That is a real reason why people come and watch games is because the team's good. And call it what you want, but I, I can totally understand why you would not want to go see a team that's not playing well. Kind of makes sense to me. But uh, I did more digging. Remember those three classifications of teams that I did with the second one being six teams that I called out having the 20% variation, Colorado, Carolina, Dallas, Florida, Islanders, and Ottawa. None of them, none, I repeat, none of them had any significant bump in attendance because their previous seasons were good or a significant drop in attendance because their previous seasons were bad. There's no relationship with those teams. And some of them actually had a weird relationship where the better they did, the less people that came out. You can't, it doesn't make sense. I don't have a good reason for that. Uh, you can't blame their attendance woes on their fans being fair weather. But I do think, just for fun, I should mention a few teams on the other end of the spectrum. Teams that did receive a bump because of success the previous season. Columbus, Minnesota, Montreal, Rangers, Philly, San Jose, Tampa Bay, and Vancouver. Now, before anybody comes after me, I'm not calling these fan bases out. I'm not calling these teams out because, first of all, it's a super small sample size. I mean, we're really talking about 10 seasons worth of data here because we're looking at the, the, the past decade. The other thing is Minnesota, Montreal, Rangers, Philly, San Jose, and Vancouver all have average attendances the past decade of above or near 100%. So if your team is doing well consistently, like San Jose, and fans come out, of course there's a relationship there. I'm not trying to badmouth anyone here, but there are two teams, the other two that I mentioned, Columbus and Tampa Bay, who tend to be a bit more prone to having fluctuation in attendance based on success in the previous season. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not trying to start any fights. I'm just putting the evidence out there that some fan bases are a little bit more susceptible to this than others. Whereas others, like the original six franchises, people come and watch regardless. I feel like I've dug a deep enough hole on this one, and I would like to move on to the stat chat. Today on Stat Chat, I'm joined by Corey and Richie, the hosts of Sporty with Corey and Richie, representing the Arizona Coyotes on the Hockey Podcast Network. You can find them on Twitter at Corey underscore Richie show. Welcome to Stat Chat. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to be here. I'm actually just distracted by a friend of ours who's telling us that the game tonight is absolutely packed, which is great because love seeing that much of our fan base coming out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so things are looking up for the Coyotes this year. I mean, really starting the offseason, landing Phil Kessel, trading for, for Taylor Hall. Uh, definitely signals to the rest of the league that you guys are are here and you guys are really pushing your chips in this season. How are you feeling about their performance so far? I think for, for me, it's been like, I thought that they were going to be good this year. I, I thought they were going to be better than they were last year. I thought they were going to be a playoff team. I did not think they were going to be this good. I did not think they're going to be a top 10 team in the league 
like they have been in terms of the points at least and the standings are concerned all season long. That that to me is surprising that they've been that good. I did not expect Darcy Kemper to play at a, a Vesna trophy level level, for lack of a better term, like he was for most of the season. Um, unfortunately, obviously, he's hurt now. He's going to be out for a little while longer until probably after the All-Star break. But I've been very surprised with how they've, they've played this year. Their, uh, their offense has been better than it was last year. Their power play is clicking. They're still, I think they're top 15 in the league I saw. So it's been a good season so far as we hit, uh, as we're recording on Sunday night. Um, tonight, the Coyotes are playing their 41st game of the season. So they're exactly halfway through the season and they're perfectly primed in a weaker Pacific division to, uh, to make the playoffs this year. Yeah. I would say that I'm a pretty surprised by this team this year. I don't think any of us thought this team would be going in this direction. I don't think anyone really but Chaika and the fact that Chica, most of the moves that have been made have been from Chaika and the fact that he he was I think the only one that thought that this team was going to be moving in a direction that's going for an actual strong push for Stanley Cup if the, they continue to play how they're playing right now however they won't even get anywhere close because they've been playing like complete trash the past couple few games but um hopefully the game tonight against Dallas will look a lot better. I mean, if there is a time for them to go through a slump um, in the middle of the season, it's probably the best time because then they can fix all of those errors um, coming in the second half. So, yeah, I mean, you both mentioned the the playoffs and it's been eight years since the last playoff run. And that was a pretty good run. I mean, it was the first time the Coyotes advanced past the first round, upsetting the Hawks and the Preds before losing ultimately in the conference finals. Uh, what what would you say needs to be done differently in order to get back to the conference finals this year? Um, I mean, the, for this team, it's, it's funny because this is something that's unlike anything we've had in a very, very long time. Considering the fact that there are people like Kessel and Hall on this team, like they are people who have been to the playoffs before know what they're doing and know how to get themselves to the end and get their team to the end. So that's a different look. So it's hard to compare this team to previous teams in that sense, especially that uh, 2012 team that went that far, that, that one, it wasn't, none of them were necessarily the absolute stars that you would see in in Arizona, we've always been kind of the underdogs that band together to put on a good performance. And this is the first time that they are they have superstars but are underperforming currently. So with them, what they need to do is just perform that the way that they know how to and all just be strong and especially right now be good defensively especially since Kemper is out and um, the Coyotes can no longer tout that they have a tandem goaltending team because of the fact that Kemper's out and that we always thought was going to be what would bring them into the playoffs very easily is because they have that upper hand but they're going to be playing for a while solely resting on Auntie Ranta and after his showing last night if that continues that's defensively and goaltending they won't get there oh sorry were you writing up you writing on me to respond to that as well i'm sorry i'm I, we're, we're, i'm actually watching the coyotes and, and stars game as we speak so Corey and i are both distracted because it's really weird to have 
hockey on a Sunday. Like Matt and I, you, we were talking before the show, and I was like, there's other sports besides the NFL going on on Sunday? <laughs> I know, especially from August to, to January. I'm just – I'm surprised that there's a game on. <laughs> but, yeah, so I'll just kind of respond quickly because Corey hit on, on, on most of it. But you know, I think the biggest difference for me and something that's even changed from, you know, since John Chica took over as GM and what he's done such a great job of and what it kind of reminds me of the Coyotes did back in those successful years of Dave Tippett is they didn't necessarily have your, you know, elite players on the roster, but because of the coaching staff and because of the general managers, they were able to put together a team that just has a lot of depth. And that's what I think separates the Coyotes from a lot of other different teams is that from the first line to the fourth line, there's not a whole heck of a lot of drop-off. They're getting contributions from everybody up and down the lineup when they're rolling at full strength. Granted, you have a couple of guys who are underperforming. Michael Grabner, Brad Richardson are the two names that kind of come to mind for, for the team this year. But um, that's the credit to John Chike and how he's built this roster where – there's not really a weak point in all four forward groups, all four forward lines where you can roll them and you're not necessarily labeling any of the lines the first line or the fourth line. They're, um, that's to me one of the best part of this team watching them play is that, is that the way this roster is built, which is so perfectly done by John Chica. There's good reason for optimism uh, going into this year's playoffs. Uh, yeah, I hope so. But I think the biggest thing that they headed into the playoffs is they got to make sure Darcy Kemper's healthy. Yeah, 100%. That, that's going to be the key because Kemper had played such a stellar season last year. He deserved to be in the playoffs last year and being just being how great he was and how it, it kind of came out of nowhere. No one was expecting him to be that great. And then to come in this season, and again, we were all talking about Antiranta like he was going to be um, the starting goaltender and that Kemper was going to end up being his backup. And the fact that they went straight into the tandem, but it was mostly where Kemper was getting those starts. It was impressive that he was able to come into the season and be just as strong and then Ronta be able to stay very close to what Kemper was at. So without the two of them together, I feel I, I worry that Ronta will be putting too much pressure on himself. He seemed very excited to be able to be taking a lot more starts, but the more pressure that's been laid upon him hasn't really been looking good. So I'm not sure that he's particularly in the right mindset to be going into the playoffs by himself. But I feel like if both of them are healthy and ready to go, that that will make a huge difference for the playoffs, especially because of how bad gold, the goaltending has been. And we've been waiting for Jalmerson to come back ever since he got injured. But I think even when he comes back, it's, there's still issues that need to be fixed. And, um, you know, it'll give, we were talking, um, we had gone out for dinner last night to watch last night's terrible game. And um, one of the things that was brought up was the fact that once he comes back, it'll give some guys less ice time. And that is one of the problems right now is there are some D pairings that are spending way too much time on the ice than they should be because they just aren't at the caliber to be having that much ice time. And so once you know, the, we have some of the health, some of the guys that have been injured healthy again, it'll allow 
some pairings do not have as much ice time as they're getting. So that'll be on the bright side. But I think really in the very end, it all comes down to Darcy Kemper, as Richie said, being healthy at the end of all this. Just to jump into to this week's topic of the show regarding home ice attendance. I've got some serious questions about the Coyotes, and I, I think you're the perfect guest to answer them because the Coyotes have had the lowest average attendance throughout the past decade, around 77%. This year, it's, it's up 83%, uh, according to ESPN. And I'm trying to figure out, because I, I know, I met a lot of people that are, that are diehard Coyotes fans, and, and I'm trying to figure out for the life of me, why can't we get those numbers higher? Like, wh why, what seems to be holding the Coyotes back from filling their arena? And I'm really curious, like, wh what are some of the things that you think uh, could be uh, restricting their, for their attendance? The problem in the intervening eight years or whatever since they made the playoffs is I think it's just an Arizona thing in general, right? Outside of the NFL, which is basically a sellout, a sellout every time because you only have eight home games to go to. Um, you know, it's just – I think Phoenix sports fans in general won't spend their money to go see you unless you win, right? For many years, like the Phoenix Suns were the hot ticket here about a decade ago during the seven seconds or less era with Steve Nash and Mari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, Mike D'Antoni, the head coach. And you couldn't, you could barely find a ticket to those games. They were sold out every night because it was must watch. And the Diamondbacks have had issues with their attendance over the last couple of years, even though they've been better, you know, baseball is, baseball tends to starting to go down, but they're still not, you know, world series contenders. So it's tough to sell out a stadium when you're not winning. The Cardinals haven't been winning the last couple of years. And, you know, even though they announce a sellout, tends is still down. But I think what you're seeing this year is you're seeing a Coyotes fan base and a market is finally starting to figure out, hey, the Coyotes, especially after the acquisition of Taylor Hall, where, hey, uh, we're in this to win this. And I think people are starting to show up. And, again, we're recording on Sunday, uh, Sunday night, when the Coyotes are hosting the Dallas Stars. And from what I understand, like Corey mentioned earlier, um, it's a sellout tonight and we're starting to see more of those. And I think you mentioned it, Matt, where it's like, they haven't seen a tennis this high since 2009. So for me, it's just, just win. If you win in this city, people will show up. And I think as the season goes along, their tense is going to get better and better. And I will tell you, there's nothing better, nothing cooler than seeing a whiteout at Gila River Arena. It is one of the one of the coolest experiences I've, I've ever had is going to those playoff games, you know, back on that playoff run when they beat the Blackhawks, they beat the Predators and lost to the LA Kings. I miss that, man. It's so much fun. Yeah, and I think the other thing that uh, we always come back to in all this is the fact that um, we always end up talking about the fact that the arena is so far on the West Valley. So for Richie, it's easy because he lives right by the arena whereas for a lot of people especially a lot of people that play hockey um a lot of the rinks in the state are on the east valley so um a lot of people that are coyotes fans live in scottsdale gilbert chandler downtown phoenix all of those type of areas and not a lot of them live on that far west side and so the, the furthest west rink that I can think of is still a good 15-minute drive from, and that's only one.
from the rink. So it's, it, I think the distance is part of it. Um, I know I work in Scottsdale and when I go to a game right from my work, it can sometimes take me two hours to get there because of how bad traffic is going in between the two. So um, I think a lot of it too, especially during the, the lowest attendance is during those weekday games. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact of travel time and they try and make them later games. So that way people can get there after work, but then you have the people that have to get up for early for work the next day. It's an complex issue and really without moving the rink, I don't think that part of it will ever get better, but it does help fill the seats with acquisitions like Kessel and Hall because that definitely brought in a bunch of people and it brought up, uh, just Kessel alone brought up uh, ticket sales for the, and that haven't been that way for years. Is there any uh, future potential for uh, a new arena uh, closer to downtown or on the east side of, of the city? That's been the hope for the last, I don't know, probably 10 years, I think, because I mean, the Coyotes have been have said this in the past. City of Glendale, where they play, where their the River Arena is located, has said this. Um, it's just not going to work long term there. They've already announced that they are re-upping the lease for at least next season. But I think most fans are hoping that Alex Marullo, who is a billionaire, we know he has a lot of money, um, is he's going to be the guy to try and make it happen. And you know, I've said this before, like. It's got to happen. I don't know. They can't stay in Glendale long-term. So I don't know what the window is, but if they don't get a rink built in the next three to four years, you know, they're going to be in trouble right now. I I don't know if they're going to be asking for public funds or not. That's always tough to get through, especially in this climate. Um, granted it happened with the Phoenix suns, the, uh, the Phoenix city council, gave $150 million to the Phoenix Suns to renovate their downtown arena, which has been around for about 25 years. So, you know, I, I, I have to be – I feel like I still have to be optimistic that's going to happen because it has to happen in order for this team to stay here, you know, longer than the next three or four years. Well, and the nice part about Marilla too, is the fact that a lot of his acquisitions over the years – like, he became a billionaire off of um, – and initially off of pizza places. Um, but um, he, a lot of what he's done has been real estate type stuff and it's been in places like Vegas and stuff like that. So he knows what he's doing when he's acquiring land and acquiring buildings. So we've all been kind of hoping at least that he, since he knows what he's doing, he can help this situation and mediate it out. They even hired someone at one point to try and find um, a new arena and that didn't go very well at all so and they also tried to do one in Tempe with ASU because ASU went NCAA and that ended up falling through as well wow I mean that that sounds like it could be a very complex issue but it sounds like it's seems pretty simple in some respect that if they can just get an arena that is more accessible to people that seems like the the biggest impediment right now um, I mean, is there anything else like in terms of the cost of tickets or marketing or is there, is there anything else you could, that you could think of? Or is that, I mean, that's not the easiest thing to do to, to get into arena, but I feel like if that's the, the biggest contributor to uh, not selling out as many games as, as you could. I, I don't think that 
anything will change their really like their day games. Ooh, goal. Um, but um, that will change their day games, particular their weekday games, particularly because of the fact that it is so far. But even I had gone to the one that was a weekday, I think it was a Thursday, um, after Hall had been acquired and the, the place was packed, given it was around the holidays. So there's probably people who um, had taken that off. But if you have things, people here will ooh and ah the big shinings just like anywhere else. So if you end up acquiring math, big like Hall or you, know, you do anything that really makes people go, ooh, what's that? Or I want to be a part of that or that type of a thing. It's very shallow, but it's kind of what you need to do, especially in a state like Arizona where you have every major team possible. Yeah, I think you hit. The, I think you hit it perfectly there. It's just they're looked down upon the Coyotes from most of the media here, and I think that's the unfortunate thing. Is that it's just tough for them to get traction and get coverage in a media market that I would say Corey is like seventy five percent Arizona Cardinals, and maybe even more for goodness sake for a team that doesn't really deserve the coverage because for love of God they won three games last year and five games this year. I think that's part of it is that it's just it's it's tough for them to gain traction in a market where they've never really been given a fair shake. Yeah, everyone kind of took the and it's a problem that we always have with outside media and the fact that we're always saying, you know, like hockey can survive in the desert. Well, we have that same exact problem with media within our actual state. No one wants to put them on the map as being one of, even though they are one of the four major teams that are here, no one ever really wants to give them acknowledgement or reference them because of the fact that they believe that there's only a small, um, there's only a small market of people that follow the team and would want to hear stuff about the team, but it's not necessarily true. And if you allow the fan to come out, they are some of the most dedicated fans and are, definitely the ones that will stand up for this team till the end. It, one of the coolest things that I have ever seen is when um, Glendale was doing all their stuff to try and kick the team out and all the fans and the businesses and, and everyone came out in support of the Coyotes and talked to the council and it showed everyone, I think across all the NHL, how big of our fandom really is and how they will support this team till the end of time. And I think that's the prime reason why this team never moved during those years. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely attest just, uh, I mentioned this in, in the previous segment that I do, uh, that there are some teams that have a correlation between winning percentage at home in the current season, as well as a, a lagged effect from the previous season and their attendance numbers. But the coyotes are not one of those teams. If anything, they have a weird like reverse uh, correlation where it seems like the better they do the, you know, the, their numbers actually go down. So if nothing else, no one can accuse the Coyotes fans of being fair weather because uh, even that year that they finished in the conference finals, it was a, a pretty poor year in terms of attendance. So I do feel like it has to be something more than that. It has to be like you said, the media or the accessibility of the stadium. And that makes perfect sense. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's I mean, you're really getting to the root of like all the problems here. So I'm glad that we're talking about it because it's something that we have been trying to figure out for a long time here, and it's it's one of those questions it's tough to answer because I think it's just so the situation here is so unique compared to other markets that if you're not here in the market, it's tough to explain and for people to kind of try and understand, you know, where the stadium actually exists compared to the freeways here. And, and like, and the whole thing about, Oh, well they're playing in, in, in the desert in Arizona. Nobody gives a crap about hockey. It's not cold there. And it's, it's just tough to explain. And, I know I've asked myself this before. It's like, why, why aren't we getting more people at these games? And I think luck, like last year, at the tail end of last year, Corey and I went to a couple of the games down the stretch last year and where the building was sold out. And it's not like people go to like Toronto or something where people will go there. And from what I understand, like the Toronto rank is, you know, it can be sold out, but a lot of times it can be a little on the quiet side. But here in here in Glendale, like you go to a sold out game like tonight or like Corey, do you remember the game against I, I think it was the Minnesota Wild last year when we were still in the playoff race that we went to and it was that stadium got so loud it sounded like a playoff atmosphere. Oh, people get so excited that they will lose their mind if it's a very packed game. It's so much fun to be around. The energy's amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um, and th- so the last thing I really wanted to, to ask about, and you both mentioned him, uh, your GM, John Shakia, has to be the most interesting GM in the league. He gets hired in 2016 as a 26-year-old, making him the youngest GM in major league sports history. He played in some minor leagues, the GHL, the MJAHL, BCHL, and OJAHL before co-founding Stathletes, which is a well-respected sports analytics firm. Uh, I know that he's been, a, you know, the major media has, has definitely been poking fun at him over the years. Uh, but what was his reception upon being hired? And how do you feel about him now? I mean, he was laughed at, right? So I, um, I work at Fox Sports 910 here in the Valley. Um, as of this season, we are actually the home of the Arizona Coyotes. So you can listen to every game on Fox Sports 910 iHeartRadio app. But when he first got hired, I remember coming on the air that day or that week and, and the, the hosts of our, of our shows, you know, who aren't, you know, big hockey fans, they're all coming to me and be like, what's going on here? Like, what just happened? And, and it was very similar to when ASU hired Herm Edwards. Like, everybody laughed at him. They're like, what is going on here? You're hiring a kid 26 years old? What? And it, and it made national news too, for goodness sake. Not just in the hockey community, but you turn into PTI that day or around the horn on ESPN and they were talking about it too. And they were like, ha, what are the Coyotes doing? Those idiots. And boy, oh boy, just like the Herb Edwards hire, I think every single media person was wrong. Oh yeah, completely. And so in, like Richie said, no one really thought that it would be a good idea. Before it was Don Maloney, who was very old school everything he did was very old boys clubbish he was he liked the way that hockey has always been and liked moving the team forward in that direction and him and and Tippett would bump heads on that um fairly often actually and so it was a lot of the traditional stuff with him and so moving from that to like the things that Don would do you weren't ever really like when in drafts and stuff in particular you weren't 
really that surprised he was going with the choice that everyone thought was the best. Trika comes in and starts making all of these moves that no one was expecting. Even Richie and I, there's videos out there that can tell you 100% that certain um, draft picks that uh, Trika has done, we were like, what in the hell is he doing? This doesn't make any sense. This person is so much further down. We don't need this person. There's all these things that we did not understand about him in in the long run. But now that all these things are starting to come to fruition, we're all starting to see kind of his vision a little bit. I don't think anyone in ever will know, maybe outside of his, his sister. His sister is also absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm in Megan Chaika. She does stat leads too. So like outside of her, maybe I don't know many people that would understand his crazy vision. I always call him like the Terminator on the side because he is like a robot in the way that he is able to put those stats and be able to apply them to the team, to the ice. It's brilliant. And I, for the longest time thought that it may cause problems. Um, when it comes to the chemistry on the ice, because he's looking at things more from a numbers point of view than a personality and how people play with others. And with hockey, we all know that that's extremely, it's a, it's a big deal. It's just as much in hockey as it is in any other sport. So um, I was very concerned about that, that. That was the way that he was going, but everything he has done has, led to this team where we are today and I don't think any of us could ever say that we would think that Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall would be on the Coyotes this season as they were trying to head for a Stanley Cup it's just baffling but really he is the one that's behind it all it's great to see, and it definitely uh, validates the analytics that, that are going on behind the scenes. And, and uh, no, I, I love to see it. I'm happy that, uh, that it's working out for him. Yeah, he is the new era of GM. This is the way that hockey is going, and he was – I'm really glad that for once the Coyotes were at the forefront of this and started that trend and started moving that team into the future faster than any of the other teams had. Yeah, it's it's very cool to see. So I guess I'm just gonna give you uh, give you the floor for a second. Uh, what other final thoughts do you have on attendance, the Coyotes in general, or any shout outs you want to do to anybody? So I uh, so I think on on uh, our show this week we uh, uh, we're ta- again we're taping on Sunday, and then Corey and I are actually gonna go and tape our show as soon as we're hanging up with you, uh, Matt. And what we're doing on our show this week is we are ranking our fave five or our jesus christ i can't talk our five favorite coyotes of the decade because this is our last show of, of 2019 um so we're gonna do that and i had a it was fun to come up with that list we got a lot of responses on our, on our twitter from coyotes fans uh if you're listening to this there's still time to respond um so uh yeah it's at cory underscore rookie show on twitter you can go and respond to that question because i'm curious like from outsiders perspectives like are there five coyotes that people can name like outside of Shane Doan? Like I'm curious, like I will end on this. I'll ask you a question. Uh, outside of Shane Doan, who are your favorite uh, players for the coyotes of the last decade? Let's see how many you can name. <laughs> oh, put you man. On the spot. 
I mean, the only people I can think of, uh, and did, can they be current players? Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say uh, Ekman Larson, Yalmerson, uh, Mike Smith. Mike Smith, yes. Um, I, I tell you, man, I'm, I'm drawing a blanket forward. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that's the perfect encapsulation of the Kyrie's over the last decade is no stars. Verbata? Verbata! Yeah, there you nice. go. He actually made my list. He he uh, put up – he was the last Kyrie to score 30-plus goals in a season. Oh, wow. Dang, that's yeah. pretty good. That I mean, that's pretty decent. I, I would be impressed. I was going to say, technically, if you were keeping, like, any notes during any of this, we, we said a few names – so, like, of current players throughout this whole thing. I mean, I would have taken, like, the cheap ones of saying, like, Kessel and Hall. I'm, I mean, it's, it's those are very cheap to say, considering the fact that they're new this season and Hall even newer. But I, I still would have taken them. That was very impressive. On that note, I want to thank you both for joining me on Stat Chat to uh, talk about the arena attendance and the Coyotes in general. And um, definitely check out their podcast, Sporty with, with Corey and Richie, on the Hockey Podcast Network. You can find Corey and Richie on Twitter at Corey underscore Richie Show and Instagram at Corey Richie Show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes our stat chat for this episode and brings us to our synopsis, our recap, where we go over what we actually learned this episode. And first of all, attendance is important, not just to the team, but also to the league. It's a good indicator of the health of your league. And having average attendance north of 96% is a very good thing for the sport. It means it's still growing. It means that we're not at market saturation yet. They can add a team like Vegas. They can add a team like Seattle and still maintain the same levels of fan support nationally. That's a good sign. Not that I want to see 40, 50 different NHL teams running around, but it means there's a market for this. And as a hockey fan, that makes me really happy to know that we're not at the point of of market saturation yet. That being said, not all markets are created equal. As I explored on this week's number crunch, most of the league is in a really good position. A majority of the league are averaging a sellout every single home game. And that's really good for those teams. It's awesome to see fans come out and support their teams through thick and thin, regardless of their record. But let's be honest with ourselves. We're human. And it's hard to spend money, hard-earned money, on a product for a variety of reasons. And I'm not going to pretend to understand why some of these teams have such variation in attendance. But there's a reason why consumers... Fans of the sport in these major markets are not going to see their team play. And part of that, as Corey and Richie had mentioned in the stat chat, is the lack of media attention, the lack of local media coverage that is driving down or suppressing the amount of support this team could have, as well as arena location. And we know this to be the case with the Islanders. We know this to be the case with Arizona. And this may be the case with Carolina, Colorado, Dallas, Ottawa, and Florida. I'm I'm not sure, but it's not as simple as this team doesn't have support, ergo their attendance numbers are down. You can have support from your fans and it not translate to good attendance numbers. Well, and that on a, on a high note and uh thanks for checking out this episode of Ice Analytics. You can 
find the show notes at www.statsenforcer.com and tune in next week because I'm going to be talking about special teams, their effect on outcomes of games, and I'm going to be joined by Mason Dixon from the Habs Nightly Podcast, someone who is very familiar with the highs and lows of special teams in the NHL. And remember, folks, drink and think responsibly. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ice Analytics, your source for NHL stats and analysis, hosted by the Hockey Podcast Network. Every team, everywhere. Follow me on Twitter at Ice Analytics, and be sure to check out statsenforcer.com for show notes and visualizations used in this episode.